Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriel Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. Fresh new polo pullover. Yeah. Quarter zip, not a polo. Yeah. For Brendan. It's almost polo weather. Not almost. quite warm enough, though I believe it's supposed to be in the 70s on Friday. On tomorrow. Tomorrow Thursday. it's supposed to be in the 70s. Yeah. But then it's supposed to snow on Saturday. Yeah. The weather's weird. But yeah, I mean, all over the place. I had been rotating through the same three quarter zips for the last, I don't know, three years. So I figured I'd add a fourth one to the mix. And Spice things up a little bit. I mean, that's what the people tune in for is right. things to be spiced up, Brendan. Sure. Uh, during this spring training extended, you know, off season, as we wait for games to start, I've been playing a, a video game, a, a Hogwarts Legacy yeah. video game, one of those Harry Potter games, Brendan. And, uh, I just want to, if any of the game makers are out there, I just want to say there should be a mode where you can turn off the giant spiders because those things are massive and I can't play with them. Yeah, not a fan of the giant spiders. I have severe arachnophobia. Right. And uh, I, when I watched the Harry Potter movies, I had to close my eyes, shut my ears any time that uh, Aragog was on the screen. Well, it's my a good sister thing that the Guardians didn't get their name changed to the Spiders instead. Oh, that would have been... Because any time the Orioles scenario. had a series against the Cleveland Spiders, can you, you wouldn't ma- have been able to watch. Can you imagine a mascot? Doomsday scenario for me. Would have been awesome. Does big Richmond spider? Does Richmond have one of those? I don't know. I don't know if they have a big fluffy spider. I mean, they are the, like the only spiders that I can think of in spider terms of mascots. Man, but he's not a mascot. No, he's not a mascot. You can catch him in New York well, he, City, he though. He said he was the only spider you could think of. I can think of some other ones. Well, I can think of other spiders. Mascots, yeah. I meant, Brendan. I think it no, was implied. I, I, I think it's only Richmond. So if you're a maker of that game, of the Hogwarts Legacy game, a, a animator, please get rid of the, the spiders. Just would love that. Just can't get through that. Yeah, they're a huge part of the game. Yeah, which is really literally and figuratively. Uh, Brendan, on this podcast, we're going to be talking uh, about prospects. Which prospects are going to debut in 2023? Some of the prospects that are in the lower levels of the system, how far can they climb? How high can they get in 2023 in the Orioles system? But first, let's start with some updates from Sarasota, Brendan. Yeah, and they are all injuries, unfortunately. (laughs) We got right to spring training, and then all of a sudden the Orioles went, yeah, everybody in the bullpen is injured. What the heck? I mean, we were at the Birdland Caravan talking to a lot of these guys, no mention of any of these injuries. And then all of a sudden we get to spring training and Dylan Tate is injured. Felix Bautista might not be ready for opening day. A whole bunch of nonsense. Yeah, it's the worst part is about spring training early on because it's usually injury updates. I yeah. mean, that's usually what it is. And it, it just felt like the first day Michael Elias spoke with the media and just dumped a bunch of bad <laughs> news on everybody. But it's not all bad. And over the coming days, you know, Stuff was cleared up and and players returned a little bit more to health. So let's start with perhaps the worst piece of news, Brendan, from that update from Michael Elias several days ago, and that's Dylan Tate. Could miss the entire month of April uh, with a forearm slash flexor strain that he suffered back in November. Now, he spoke with us, like you said, along the Birdland Caravan and didn't mention this. 
And we thought he yeah. was going to pitch for Team USA in the World Baseball Classic. His name wasn't on the roster, and it turns out that's why. Yeah, this is a bummer. Dylan Tate was really good last year. He is one of the few Orioles bullpen arms at this point with a solid track record of success. We've seen you know, Felix Bautista, CNL Perez. They had really good 2022 seasons, but we haven't seen much more from them. Dylan Tate has had a few seasons now of sustained success. So to not have his arm in the bullpen for at least the first month of the season hurts. But the nice thing, if you if you want to call it a bit of a consolation here, is that you bring in Michael Givens to yeah. probably fill a similar role to Dylan Tate. Those were probably your two right-handed options for the seventh and eighth innings. So now you just don't have two of those guys. But you still have Michael Givens who can operate in a similar Dylan Tate role in the seventh and eighth innings. So it's nice to have a backup plan there. And remember, Tate suffered this injury in November. The Orioles signed Michael Givens in December. We didn't know about this injury, but I'm sure Michael Elias and the Orioles front office did. So they knew going into the winter meetings and December that they were going to need some help there, at least for the month of April. I don't think that the Tate injury necessitated the Michael Givens signing, but they made it a clear priority to improve the depth in that bullpen and especially to get some veteran arms. So adding Dylan Tate or adding Michael Givens, I should say, helped mitigate if Dylan Tate is gone for the entire month of April or if really any of the other righties in that bullpen suffer injuries. If Brian Baker goes down for any extended amount of time, somebody like that, the Orioles now have a little bit more depth to get through some of those injuries. Yeah, and hopefully it is just the month of April. Hopefully it's not a long stint on the injured list for Dylan Tate. In terms of what this means for the Orioles bullpen as a whole, like I said, I think Michael Givens probably fills that Dylan Tate role a little bit to start the season. Maybe Brian Baker gets some more high leverage opportunities in the seventh or eighth innings of games, depending on the matchups. And then you probably start the season with another bullpen arm that we haven't really talked about when we've been discussing the eight guys that we thought could make this opening day 26-man roster. Keegan Aiken maybe gets bumped up closer to a lock than he was before. Yeah. And maybe we start to have more of a conversation about Nick Vespi starting on the opening day roster. Maybe Joey Crable sneaks his way onto the roster as well. Andrew Politi. Andrew Politi. Rule 5 draft pick. It could be a possibility there too. So it opens up some other opportunities for guys, probably in that Vespi, Crable, Politi tier that we weren't really thinking could make this opening day roster that might be able to now. The nice thing about Politi, you can keep him on your roster for April, have him pitch in a few lower leverage situations, and then just send him back to the Red Sox if he doesn't do particularly well. So that's an option as well. Another injury update, Brendan, this is to a more important player in that bullpen, but it's a lesser injury, and that's Felix Bautista. Now, he spent the offseason rehabbing his season-ending knee injury, and he's also on a shoulder-strengthening program because, if you recall, near the end of the season, he was struggling to get through, you know, September into October. So strengthening that arm, I think, is going to be big for him as well. Uh, there was some concern, Michael Elias said, that he might not make op the opening day roster, but... He f seems to be feeling better from everything that we've heard there, and he is hopeful that he can make the opening day roster. Yeah, I think I'm not 
I'm just not going to freak out about Felix Bautista at this point because yeah. until we know that he is not going to be ready for opening day, I'm not going to speculate and wonder what the Orioles will do if he is not ready for opening day. And hopefully, if he's not, he only misses a week or two, which yeah. doesn't have a massive impact on the season. But you would rather take it slow with Felix Bautista, not rush him back to get him just ready for opening day out of the gate. Felix Bautista is hopefully a long-term mainstay in Baltimore as your closer, so you don't want to push him. You, This is about his long-term career outlook, so you don't want to rush him back from an injury and make it worse than it already was. Yeah, and it's February 22nd. I mean, we have plenty of time before right. opening day, and I think he really only needs to appear in four, five, six games maybe in spring training before he is considered ramped up and ready to go. If they were to be without him, we don't have to delve into it too much, Brendan, because you you said you're not concerned. I, I just don't want to slam the panic button. Yeah, no, not at all. he might be ready for opening day. And, and like you said, it'll only be probably a week if he's not into the season that he comes back. I mean, Brandon Hyde said CNL Perez could close some games. Michael Gibbons could close some games. You could have more inspiring options yeah. if you were looking at closer. Just because Perez went just one for two and save opportunities last year, and Gibbons is just 31 for 59 in save opportunities in his career. It's not great. We saw it in Baltimore several years ago. He's not best utilized in the ninth inning closing games. He's a great eighth, seventh inning pitcher. But if the Orioles need him to be a closer for any extended amount of time this season, they might be in a little bit of trouble, which is why it's important that Bautista builds up that arm so that he can pitch all six months. Yeah, and unfortunately, probably if Bautista is injured and not closing games, you'd probably look to Dylan Tate. Yeah. And you don't have Dylan Tate for the month of April. Exactly. Uh, but, again, plenty of time before opening day. Not overly concerning. A couple other injury updates. D.L. Hall had right lower lumbar discomfort, but he feels okay. So I think he'll be ready to go where he starts the season, TBD. I think we both, at this point, have him in Norfolk to start the year because the Orioles want to keep him as a starter, not reliever. And then Nick Vespi, we thought a while ago, would be would start the season uh, on the injured list. And it appears that uh, he is going to be fully recovered from his sports hernia surgery. At least that's what he's saying. And with Dylan Tate being out, at least to start the season, like you said, Brendan, probably makes it a little bit more likely that Vespi makes this team out of camp. Yeah, and I think Rock Cabaco reported this morning that Nick Vespi was throwing off of a mound. I don't know what that looked like exactly, but it sounds like Nick Vespi is getting ramped up for potentially making this opening day roster. And as you mentioned, now that Dylan Tate is not on this 26-man roster, presumably to start the season on the injured list, maybe Nick Vespi fills that role. Yeah. Now, position players have reported to camp, so we're going to get probably more updates before games start in about a week. But uh, the Orioles are in okay shape right now. It's not like anybody has suffered, knock on wood, any long-term injuries thus far, and the bullpen is ready to absorb some of those injuries. All right, Brendan, should we talk about uh, prospects? I think we shall. There are a lot of prospects reporting to spring training big league camp right now in Sarasota, and we're going to talk about how close these guys are to the big leagues and try to predict when they might debut over the course of the season, who might debut of this group, and then some of the lower-level prospects, how high can they get? Let's start with the number one overall pick from last summer's draft, Jackson Holiday. He's not going to debut this year. No. I don't I don't think that he's going to he's going to make it all the way up to Baltimore because he is still 
only tw- only 19 years old. He was 18 when he was drafted. He's 19, Brendan. He is in big league camp. Incredibly impressive. The Orioles appear to be very high on his maturity, his readiness for pro ball. I have him starting the season at high A Aberdeen and finishing conservatively with double A Bowie. Yeah, I was thinking that he would start in Delmarva considering he only got 12 games there at the end of last year. But given the fact that he was very good in those 12 games and he's already getting reps at big league camp, I would imagine that if he starts in Delmarva this year, he would only get, what, like 10, 20 games there before he gets called up to Aberdeen. So at that point, you're kind of like, what's the point in starting him in Delmarva if he's only going to need 20, 30 games there total? I think you're right. I think you've swayed me to now thinking that Jackson Holiday could just start the year at Aberdeen. But that also leads me to believe that he'll probably spend about half the season there because he'll be pitching, he'll be playing against a lot of pitchers, excuse me, that are a lot older than him. Yeah. And the talent jump from Delmarva to Aberdeen is probably going to be significant. We know Jackson Holiday is a fantastic prospect and he is probably going to succeed wherever he goes. But you'd have to imagine that the jump up to Aberdeen is going to take a little bit of time. For him to adjust. So I think he gets up to double A buoy by the end of the year. Maybe gets 30, 40 games there, I would guess. But I think that's as high as he gets. Well, the Orioles, though, have shown that they will stick a guy at the lower level just to be sure. If they're not 100% sure he's ready for the next level, they'll give him those 10 or 20 games at the lower level. But I think that his invitation to spring training and from everything we've heard, how impressive he's looked at big league camp, I think that made me think, He's ready for the next level, and the Orioles believe he's ready for the next level, even though he only has 20 professional games under his belt, 20 total, and only 12 of those were spent in low A Delmarva, where he hit only 238, but he did walk 15 times in those 12 games. The plate discipline was fantastic, did not homer, but had a 772 OPS. He's clearly not a typical high school draft pick. Right. And I think that if he gets an extended amount of time in Aberdeen, makes it a lot more difficult for him to jump two levels and go all the way up to Norfolk. And for him to get up to Norfolk in his age 19 season would be pretty absurd. It's possible. It's Anything is possible with this kid. But I think they're going to give him as much time as possible to marinate in high A Aberdeen and then double A Bowie. Yeah, I, I don't think he gets up to Norfolk this year. I think that would be way too lofty of an expectation to put on Jackson Holiday. And as you mentioned, we have seen the Orioles be very patient with their prospects. They are not going to rush Holiday up to AAA Norfolk. He could be there next year. Yeah. I mean, I think that's realistic, but I don't see him getting up to AAA Norfolk this year. And on the 238 batting average thing, one of the quotes from his great interview with Steve Molesky that jumped out to me, uh, paraphrasing, but it was essentially saying that he would rather strike out looking on a pitch that he couldn't do damage with yeah. than swing at a pitch that he considered a bad swing decision. So he is clearly very bought in and probably already had a lot of what the Orioles were looking for and are teaching in their minor league system right now with those swing decisions. So the 238 batting average doesn't tell me that he's not seeing the ball well or not hitting well. The 15 walks are a better indicator of just how advanced he already is at the plate. So I'm not worried about the batting average because of what he said in terms of his swing decisions. Yeah, so that's Jackson Holiday. Uh, 
how about the Orioles number one prospect Gunnar Henderson do you do you do you think he could make the team out of camp right yeah now? I think he might do I have a sneaking suspicion enough? he'll be at the major league I, level I think he's gonna be there I I, I maybe it's lofty but I think he's gonna make this opening know, Cole, day. I think he'll be there <laughs> I think he's going to make the opening day roster. Uh, I don't know, maybe. Another guy, uh, one of the Orioles' top prospects, Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah, just have a sneaking suspicion. I think he's going to league level. I think he's going to make this opening day roster, I'll I be think honest. I think, he, I think he's ready. Yeah. Uh, so those two guys, I think, will be in the big leagues to start the season. Next up, D.L. Hall. We both have said on this podcast, we think he is going to start the season in Norfolk. He's yep. 24 years old. The Orioles want to make him a starter, not a reliever. There's not room for him in this rotation right now. There might be later on in the season, but he had a 470 ERA in AAA last year. I think he starts the year in Norfolk. I think he gets called up midseason because of an injury and because of how good his performance is going to be. Yeah, I agree. I think he starts in AAA Norfolk, as we've mentioned on previous podcasts. He still has more work to do there. Had just a 470 ERA in Norfolk a season ago. It's going to be difficult for him to crack this opening day rotation out of camp at the big league level. And so you want him to be a starter, so he starts in Norfolk. I agree. I think he gets called up. I think he gets called up a little bit earlier. I have him getting called up in late May. Okay. I am hopeful. Maybe this is just me being optimistic about D.L. Hall. But I think I am hopeful after an offseason of being fully healthy, of being totally ramped up, I think D.L. Hall puts up great numbers at AAA Norfolk. And I think by the time we get into mid to late May, he is going to be banging down the door for a spot in the Orioles' five-man rotation at the big league level. And I think you have to find a spot for D.L. Hall. If he is really, really performing at AAA Norfolk, which I am very hopeful that he will, you've got to find a spot for him. So I'm projecting him late May. Problem is, there are a lot of guys ahead of him, and a couple of those guys are entrenched. Cole Irvin, Kyle Gibson, yep. just because of the the amount that the Orioles gave up for Cole Irvin in Daryl Hernandez and the contract that they gave to Kyle Gibson. Now, they could trade one of those two guys to open up a spot if they're that comfortable with D.L. Hall. But those guys are entrenched. They have Dean Kramer, who's... Right now, ahead of D.L. Hall on the pecking order. They yep. have Kyle Bradish, who's ahead of him. They have Grayson Rodriguez, who's ahead of him. We've seen Austin Voth look very good starting games with the Orioles in the second half of the season last year. Spencer Watkins has shown flashes. I know he's older and doesn't have the same high ceiling that D.L. Hall does, but if the Orioles needed a spot start, I think there are a lot of other guys that they would call on before they called on D.L. Hall. It's if they have a spot that opens up in the rotation for a month or so is that going to be dl hall's opportunity and i think injury is the most likely way that 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 dl hall gets that kind of call i agree i think injury is probably the most likely scenario however if he is at triple a norfolk and has an era hovering around three and he's striking out 11 12 guys <laughs> per nine innings like we know dl hall has the capability of doing you got to find a spot for him somewhere, yeah. right? Oh, I mean, yeah. I think that's a bridge that we cross when we get to it, and hopefully he is putting yeah. up those kind hopefully of stats. Hopefully a good problem to have at that point. I have him debuting, or not debuting, he made his major league debut last year, but getting called back up to the big leagues on June 20th. Yeah, I've Just got a, May 26th. We have no idea. If you go back and listen to our podcast last year where we tried to predict these guys, don't. No. We were way off. It was not good. Yeah. And we have no idea. And no, you know, Mike Elias isn't like he's, he's got a 
calendar in his room and he's like, all right, we're going to call up D.L. Hall. Yeah. It's just whatever happens, happens. Well, and the they, same they rules adjust. apply here as applied during our fake trade podcast where Mike Elias had to pick yeah. one of the fake trades to mm-hmm. actually do. He has to pick one of the dates for one of these prospects, and that prospect has to debut on that day. Yeah. That's the rule. I I think it's only fair, Yeah, to be honest. Uh, next up, Brendan, Jordan Westberg, mm. also 24 years old, like D.L. Hall. I don't think, unless there is a major injury to a big leaguer during camp, a middle infielder like an Adam Frazier or a Jorge Mateo or a Gunnar Henderson, I don't think he's going to make this team out of camp. He looked very good last year in Norfolk, and he did get a whopping 91 games at the AAA level, and he hit 274 and 18 homers in those games with an 869 OPS, and he won Orioles Minor League Player of the Year. All very well and good, but I look back to 2022 when Kyle Stowers, the year before, had raked in AAA, had played a similar number of games, 70-something, 80-something games, in AAA, and it wasn't until mid-season that Kyle Stowers even got his feet wet, and then it wasn't until the very end of the year that he had a regular role in Baltimore. I think Jordan Westbrook is on a similar path. He's a highly, more highly touted prospect than Kyle Stowers, but I think that something is going to have to give for Jordan Westbrook to get the call up. I don't think his performance alone means that he gets a shot in Baltimore immediately. I agree. But I do think that Jordan Westberg, among the prospects that we are going to talk about today outside of, you know, Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall guys who have already made their big league debut, I think Jordan Westberg is the next closest. And I think he is in a group kind of on his own where he hasn't made his big league debut yet, but we've seen him play enough games at AAA Norfolk where I think he is legitimately competing for a spot on this opening day roster. Whether or not he actually makes the opening day roster, I think he has a a big uphill battle to get there because there are a lot of people blocking him. But we're going to talk about guys like Joey Ortiz, Connor Norby, Colton Kowser as well. Those guys haven't gotten enough games at AAA Norfolk where I would be confident in saying, yeah, they could probably play at the big league level right now without a little bit more seasoning. As you mentioned, Jordan Westberg, 91 games. He has played enough time at AAA Norfolk where if he made this opening day roster at the big league level, I'd go, yeah, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Although he would just have to bump somebody out. He would. And the way that I see Jordan Westberg making this big league roster at some point, I think it's a little bit more realistic than what we saw with Kyle Stowers last year. Because when you looked at the Orioles outfield, I know there were some available at-bats at DH. But you had Austin Hayes playing at an all-star caliber level for the first half of the season. Cedric Mullins was excellent. Anthony Santander was excellent. There just wasn't really a natural spot for Kyle Stowers to go anywhere. And Trey Mancini was on the team. And Trey Mancini was on the team at that point as well. Taking DH and playing in the outfield a little bit. Taking a lot of those DH backup outfield roles there. Ryan McKenna even. Ryan McKenna as well. I think we could get to the middle of the season, and I know what Jorge Mateo gives you defensively, I know Adam Frazier gives you a great veteran presence. I know Taryn Vavra has shown a good amount at the big league level right now. If those guys aren't hitting and Jordan Westberg is putting up another close to 900 OPS at AAA Norfolk, I think 
the leash is going to be short for those guys at the big league level. Well, Westberg is right there. We got a comment earlier as well about whether some prospects could be traded in some kind of blockbuster for a pitcher, Corbin Burns being the most likely of those guys, because did you hear what he had to say about the Brewers and uh, his uncomfortability with the oh, arbitration that was, hearing? That was not good. That was, that they, was they, painful. Yeah, Burns essentially said that the Brewers blamed him yeah. for not making the playoffs. In the arbitration In the hearing. arbitration hearing, when Corbin Burns was one of the only reasons they were in the playoff push to begin with. Look, they saved their seven hundred fifty thousand dollars yeah or whatever good it was. job good good for them yeah so maybe he's he shakes loose and Oof. some teams are able to trade for him we've talked about jorge mateo being a potential trade chip so maybe it's not that jorge mateo isn't you know cutting it as a big leaguer and the the orioles want to give westberg that spot instead of him maybe one of these guys like mateo ends up being in a deal in, yeah. in some kind of trade for a pitcher for another big time player and that opens up a spot. And if Jordan Westberg continues to hit the cover off the ball in Norfolk, the Orioles will feel a lot more comfortable making a deal like that, knowing that they have the insurance there. And Westberg's ability to play shortstop, second base, and third base makes it very easy for the Orioles to give him the call if somebody goes down yep. for an extended amount of time. Because if it's Frazier, if it's Gunner, if it's Mateo, one of those guys goes down, guess what? Westberg can fill in defensively at any of those positions. Even and you, if it's Vavra or Arias. Yeah, and I you feel Westbrook good about it. the first call for any of those guys. Yeah, and and because he's not, again, we're going to call it the Adley-Rutschman treatment. He's not going to get the Adley-Rutschman treatment. There's pretty much nobody right now except for maybe Grayson Rodriguez and conversation we'll have down the line with Jackson Holiday getting the Adley-Rutschman treatment, meaning, meaning getting everyday big league playing time from the day he is called up. I don't think Jordan Westberg, Connor Norby, Joey Ortiz, those guys aren't in this category. And so for Westberg, maybe he bounces back and forth between AAA and the big leagues this year. But I think he's going to get his shot. I think he's going to get his feet wet and his cup of coffee in the big leagues. Whether it's for an extended amount of time, we'll see. But I think he is ready. And I think the Orioles think he is ready. Yeah, and we got a comment on YouTube about, you know, if you thought Jordan Westberg was ready to start opening day, why sign somebody like Adam Frazier? Frazier's an established big leaguer yeah. with multiple years of success, and Jordan Westberg is somebody that you're hoping is going to turn in successful seasons like Adam Frazier has. So you've got the known commodity already. If Westberg turns out to be better, great. But you have an established veteran in Frazier. And if Westberg turns out to be better, you can trade Frazier mid-season, right. early in the season, Frazier's also a lefty, which the Orioles clearly wanted in their lineup. He has the uh, you know ability to play in the outfield if need be, which Westbrook at this point doesn't have. Now Westbrook has shortstop, uh, you know versatility, which Frazier doesn't have. But I think there were a lot of reasons the Orioles made that Frazier move. I don't think it was a lack of confidence necessarily in the infield prospects. It was just who's ready to contribute on opening day up in Boston right now and help us make a playoff push from yep. the first game of the season. Um, all right, so that's Jordan Westberg. Then we've got Joey Ortiz, who's 24 years old. Again, he didn't get as much playing time in Norfolk as Jordan Westberg. And part of that was his 2022 season was, or his 2021 season, I should say, was kind of marred with injury. Yep. He got only, what, 65 games under his belt in 2021 so 2022 he had to build himself back up a little bit more 
and he only got 26 games in Norfolk. Now, he hit 346 in those 26 games. Yeah, 967 OPS. Which is, wow, great. Yep. But 26 games is 26 games. So, I think there's he is behind Jordan Westberg in terms of the pecking order right now. Yeah, he's still behind Westberg, but I think he would be almost as comfortable putting him on the big league roster right now. Because at a minimum, Joey Ortiz is probably your best defensive shortstop in the farm system right now. I'm not going to call him better than Mateo at this point because Mateo might be one of the best defensive shortstops in all of baseball. But Joey Ortiz is probably the second best fielding shortstop in the organization. Yeah. So you could call him up to the big leagues right now with that baseline. And if the bat is anywhere close to the 967 OPS that we saw in Norfolk, which I don't think it will be at the big league level, but even if he gives you a 700, 750 OPS at the big league level with the elite defensive ability that he has, I think Joey Ortiz is knocking on the door. Do you have him debuting this season? I do. I think it's going to be a little bit later because, as you mentioned, he has not gotten a ton of time at AAA Norfolk. I think it could be a similar situation to Kyle Stowers where he is just consistently very good at AAA, but there's not really a spot for him logically somewhere. I have him debuting mid-August, mid to late August. August 18th is the date that I threw down. So in this scenario, is Jordan Westberg already with the big league team? Yes. Who? So you're kind of saying either somebody's going to be traded or you're going to get two injuries. Yeah, there, I just assuming that <laughs> there's going to be an injury or there's going to be a trade, there's going to be something that allows Joey Ortiz to be on this big league roster. I mean, we saw it at the end of last year when Kyle Stowers and Taryn Vavra were just called up, they got consistent playing time. It just kind of worked out with how the roster was constructed. I think he'll get the call up at some point late in the season. I just don't think right now, and maybe not all season, I don't think that Ortiz is ever going to get the call before Jordan Westberg does. I agree. Uh, unless there is an injury to Westberg. So it, it would take, in my mind, again, two things to give for Ortiz. Now, if you're talking about three things to give, also, I, I, I don't have, uh, or no, I do have Joey Ortiz debuting, and I have him debuting on August 21st. Yeah. We're Put it in stone. Off. Uh, would it take three things to give? How much would have to happen? How much devastation would have to happen to the Orioles' big league team to get Connor Norby up to the big leagues in 2023? He's 23 years old and got just nine games in Norfolk last year. I don't know if he gets called up this year. I think it's a toss-up for me. I think Connor Norby has the chance to play very well at AAA Norfolk and earn a promotion. Whether or not he's going to get it, given the talent already at the big league roster, again, Jordan Westberg and Joey Ortiz, I think both get the call before Connor Norby does. So you're just not going to have a lot of roster spots. We haven't even gotten to Colton Kowser, who's probably going to be on this roster at some point as well. So I don't know if he actually debuts. My only thing with Connor Norby is that maybe the Orioles are just lacking some power in their lineup somewhere. And they say, hey, the second base role that we currently have at the big league level is giving us five or ten home runs this season. And we need Connor Norby at the big league level to give us some more pop because the lineup just doesn't have enough pop. And that second baseman spot offensively hasn't been giving us what we wanted it to. So maybe Connor Norby gets a call in place of somebody like Taryn Vavra, in place of somebody like Adam Frazier, 
because the Orioles are just in search for something completely different at that position. He is batting from the right side. Yep. So Vavra, of course, you know, is not going to have a whole lot of power, but he is going to be batting from the left side. Yep. Stowers is also going to be batting from the left side. So easier to reach the uh, over the wall, poke one over the wall if you're batting from the left side than you would be from the right side. We'll see how well Norby's power is able to translate as well because he is a smaller guy. You know, Stowers has more theoretical power ability because he is a bigger guy with a big looping swing. I was shocked at how many home runs, 29 homers last year, that Norby was able to hit given his stature. And look, he pl- he's a second baseman. That's not typically a power position. So is that sustainable? Is his power sustainable going forward? I think we'll see. I think it's also interesting that he didn't play a single game at third base last year, Brandon. Yeah. In the minor leagues. Played all of his games at uh, second base and shortstop. Now, part of that was, I think, maybe he was playing a lot of his games next to Connor Norby. Or, sorry, next to Kobe Mayo, who is a third baseman, and also next to Cesar Prieto, who is a second baseman, third baseman. But do you think they're going to try Norby at third base a little bit more in Norfolk? I don't think so. The really? arm's not really there with Connor Norby. You don't that, think it's going to make it? I don't think he's going to be a third baseman. I think he is a good second base option. I don't really know if he's a fantastic outfield option either. He doesn't have a ton of arm strength. He did play a little bit, right, in the outfield last year? A little bit, yeah. But I think the arm was a question out there as well. So I think second base is the most natural point for Connor Norby to stay at. I think there's probably a reason he doesn't get a ton of reps at third base. I know some of it is the fact that he was playing with Cesar Prieto and Jordan Westberg and Joey Ortiz. I understand that part of it. But I don't think they're convinced he would be great at the hot corner. Also, on the MLB Pipeline podcast, I heard Jim Callis say that Norby just missed their top 100 and is likely to be added very soon. Yeah, As soon as some guys like a Gunnar Henderson graduate, I think that we could see Norby alongside Joey Ortiz in the 90 to 100 range in MLB Pipeline's podcast, or yeah. MLB Pipeline's top 100. And... Just to go back to Ortiz real quick, one good point brought up on YouTube. Ortiz is on the 40-man, which could give him an edge to debut before somebody like Connor Norby, who is not yet on the Orioles' 40-man roster. Absolutely. But the Orioles have shown also, if the talent's there, they'll add him. They'll make room. Yep. See Gunnar Henderson last year. Uh, All right. Let's stick with the infield, Brendan. Kobe Mayo, 21 years old. Now, he suffered back spasms last year, had to miss a lot of time, played in just 34 AA games, but he hit pretty well, 250 with five homers and a 729 OPS in those 34 games. I think he starts back in Bowie this year, yep. and I think he makes it back up to AAA Norfolk. I think he makes it up to AAA Norfolk, I should say. I don't think he makes his debut at age 21. No, the 729 OPS at AA last year is pretty good, but for Kobe Mayo... He's a pretty good defensive third baseman. He's, again, one of those guys that we keep waiting to grow out of the position or just not really play well enough there to stick there, and he just hasn't really done it. So Kobe Mayo, still a solid third base option, could be a first base option as well. But if you're going to be a power-hitting corner infielder, the OPS needs to be higher than 729 at AA Bowie. And not that that's bad by any stretch. Again, he was one of the younger players in the org at that level at that point, and he was facing a lot of pitchers older than him. But I think we need to see that get a little bit of a bump, so I would start him in double-A Bowie as well. 
he probably gets up to AAA Norfolk. And again, don't think he makes his big league debut, but he is another one that we keep hearing about at whatever camp that he goes to, and he just has raw, effortless power. I mean, he was taking hacks. I saw a video of him a few weeks ago where it wasn't even a leg stride. I mean, he had both feet planted, and he's still just hammering baseballs. The exit velo king yeah. of the Orioles minor league system right now. And talk about arm strength. You mentioned Norby maybe not having the ability to play third. And from everything we've heard, Mayo has a cannon of an cannon. arm. Yep. So that's what's keeping him at third base right now, even though he is quite large at, what, 6'5"? Yeah, but he's still athletic enough to be there. True. If seen no, a yeah. big third baseman, he would just be a very big third baseman. Yeah, but if you got a if you got an arm like that, might as well keep him there. Yep. Uh, all right. Keeping with the infield, Cesar Prieto, 24 years old. Uh, he hit 255 with four homers in a... 643 OPS uh, in 90 double-A games last year. Got to see more production from him uh, in Bowie before he gets the call up to Norfolk. So I think he goes back to Bowie to start the season. I agree. I think he starts at Bowie. I think part of those numbers we heard from Matt Blood that given that it, it was his first year playing professional baseball in the U.S., he wasn't really used to the longer season. So it kind of seemed like he wore down a little bit, wasn't really able to keep up with competition as the season went along in Bowie. So I'd like to see him start the year in Bowie, get his conditioning back right, see what he can do offensively there. He's not going to be a huge power guy, but the OPS should still be higher than that because he has a good plate approach. You know, he's maybe a slap gap to gap kind of hitter, but Cesar Prieto still need to see some more production. As you mentioned, I would start him in double a Bowie. I think he probably gets up to triple a Norfolk, but no higher than that. He hit just 189 with a single homer in 15 Arizona Fall League games as well. So he's he was, adjusting. He was pushed even farther into the season after he had, uh, you know, some some tiredness down the stretch, some exhaustion. He played then played an extra 15 games. So he he's he is still adjusting. I don't yeah. think that changes his ceiling. I don't think the Orioles looked at that and said, "Boy, this isn't the guy we hoped we would get when we signed him out of Cuba." I think they're just thinking, "All right, give him." A little bit more time. Give work yep. him back up. Um, also, before we move on to the outfield, Brendan, uh, getting some comments. Uh, somebody asking, does Jorge Mateo have the bat to play regularly? He did last year. I mean, he had a three and a half war, according to baseball reference, which is a very, very productive player. Yep. I know a lot of that was defense, but his bat hitting about 220 wasn't great, but his defense made up for it, and his bat did just enough to keep him up um, as your everyday shortstop. Just I think this, enough, yeah. I, it wasn't convincing. Yeah, I don't and, think this uh, this season will tell a lot about Jorge Mateo. And towards the end of the year, when once Gunnar Henderson was called up, you had another shortstop option there. I wouldn't be surprised if the Orioles play Gunnar Henderson at short with Ramon Rios at third base a decent amount. Jorge Mateo had a 646 OPS last year, an 81 OPS plus. That's a well below average hitter. And I know the defense is elite, but when you're talking about guys like Joey Ortiz, who also have elite defense and could potentially hit better than Jorge Mateo, I think he's going to have to improve at the plate to keep that spot. Yeah, the, the competition is nipping at his heels. Yep. Another comment asking which guys of these that we're talking about could be dealt in the next year or two. I think all of them. All, any of them. Yeah. Any and all of them. I, I don't think that the Orioles are going to decimate their system to go out and make a Juan Soto-like trade and trade five guys in their top 10 
But I think that all of these guys are up for grabs if the Orioles want to go out and get an elite big league player. Yeah, Adley, Grayson, and Jackson Holiday, I think, are untouchable. Outside of that, I mean, nobody. Hauser is kind of a fringe guy, but if you would get somebody like Corbin Burns, I mean, yeah, Colton Kaiser would probably be on the block. Yeah, so I wouldn't rule out any of these guys for a trade like that. And we saw that Daryl Hernandez, the Orioles' 16th-ranked prospect, was able to net a big league starting pitcher and another minor league pitcher. Yep. So that tells you what other organizations think about the depth that the Orioles have in their system. All right, let's move on to the outfield, and let's talk about Colton Kaiser. He's 23 years old. Um he was very good last year for the majority of the season. Then he got called up to Norfolk, and he struggled just a little bit in 27 games. Hit just 219 with five homers and a 767 OPS. He was turning it on in the last week or two of the season, but he still has more to prove, I think, in Norfolk. Yeah, that's the great thing about Colton Kowser is that the batting average doesn't need to be that high for the OPS to still be pretty good because it's kind of a, a Jackson Holiday-esque plate approach where he has such good swing decisions that maybe the average isn't super high, but he's still going to draw a lot of walks. He's not going to strike out a lot. He's still going to do a lot of good things for you at the plate. I would anticipate that Colton Kowser is going to really improve those numbers at AAA Norfolk last year. We have seen that throughout his minor league career so far. You know, we saw some struggles at Aberdeen from him last year, and then he picked it up. We didn't see any struggles at AA Bowie. And as you mentioned, struggled a little bit out of the gate with Norfolk, picked it up towards the end of the year. I would imagine that trajectory continues to trend up for Colton Kowser. I think he debuts by the middle of the season. Yeah. I think he is not quite in that Adley Rutschman tier of call him up, need to start him every day. But if I'm somebody like Austin Hayes... I'm kind of looking in the rearview mirror at Colton Kowser because he this is a top five draft pick who has done nothing but hit at the minor league level so far. He can play a quality defensive center field. You probably don't need him there, which probably means he can play a great corner outfield as well. I think Colton Kowser's time is pretty close. You know, it's funny. When we were talking about the infield prospects like Ortiz and Norby and Westberg, they're, we're talking about them having a huge hurdle to jump over because Gunnar Henderson is entrenched. You know, Adam Frazier is a established big leaguer, um, you know, on a one-year contract with guaranteed money. Jorge Mateo, despite his struggles with the bat, had three and a half war. Ramon Arias had over three war and won a gold glove. Yes, there are players in front of Colton Kowser, but other than... Cedric Mullins, it's hard to say anybody's really entrenched out there. You know, Anthony Santander, I, I know Michael Elias has seemingly committed to having Santander on this team for the next two years, but I still have a hard time removing him from any kind of trade conversations. Yep. And Kyle Stowers, I'm excited to see what he can do this year, but he's far from entrenched in that outfield. Taron Vavra, same thing. And Austin Hayes struggled so much, so mightily in that second half of the season that... I'm really not averse to saying, Colton Kowser, second anybody struggles, I'm giving you a spot. You're a top 50 prospect in all of baseball. You're a potential five-tool prospect, and you might be better right now than Austin Hayes. Whereas for Westberg and Ortiz and Norby, it's hard for me to say any of those guys is going to be better on day one than elite defense Jorge Mateo, than 
budding superstar Gunnar Henderson and then gold glove winning Ramon Rodriguez. Yeah, and that's nothing against Austin Hayes. This is still a no. quality big league player. He gave you about two and a half war last year, played 145 games, so he was able to kind of shake that injury-prone label a little bit. But as you mentioned, he really struggled in the second half after we were talking about him as a potential all-star candidate in the first half of the season. So Austin Hayes, if he comes out of the gate and has those similar struggles to what we saw in September last year, I mean, Colton Cowser's right there. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the the fourth and fifth outfielders as well in Kyle Stowers and Ryan McKenna. If either of those guys aren't hitting, I don't think the Orioles are married to either of those guys at the big league level right now. If Colton Cowser is tearing the cover off the ball and Ryan McKenna is only giving you a 650 OPS, and you think that McKenna and Kowser can play similar defense, it's Colton Kowser. Not to bring up non-sequiturs, but we are getting comments as well discussing going back to Jorge Mateo and <laughs> whether his I defense... Think we, I think at some point we need to just do a Jorge Mateo yeah. podcast yeah. because there are so many questions surrounding him from the trades to the bat to yeah. whatever it may be. Well, and people saying the Phillies last year showed that defense isn't as important as offense. Yes, I think offense is more important than defense in a vacuum, but also the Phillies were the last team in the playoffs. I know they they had a miraculous World Series run, but defense is still a major part of the game. And yeah. for this upcoming season when the rule changes are going to screw with all kinds of shifts and everything, I think defense is going to be even more important. And I think Jorge Mateo, what a lot of people are not considering right now is what he brings on the base pass. Yep. I mean, singles turn into to doubles because he's able to steal second base so easily. Bigger bases, pickoff rules could help Jorge Mateo steal even more bases this year. He could steal 50 if he gets the opportunity, 60 bases maybe this year. So... He brings other things to the table more than just his defense. And I think the Orioles clearly value up-the-middle defense. That's why they've gone out every year and signed somebody like a Jose Iglesias, like Freddie Galvis, guys who are known for their defense at shortstop. It helps their pitchers out, getting more ground balls. Uh, get you know If you have pitchers that pitch to contact, you have guys who can make the play. So I think that, uh, you know, Jorge Mateo brings a lot more to the table than just his glove. Yeah, and look at Kyle Gibson. Kyle Gibson had a really rough year in Philly last year. In Philly. Might have been, you know, part Kyle Gibson, but it was also part he had no defense behind him. Yes. Kyle Gibson was a ground ball pitcher who, when he induced ground balls, bad things happened because he was playing on the Phillies. Yeah. Who had no infield defense. And, And the Phillies had an elite offense. I don't think the Orioles have the ability to have an elite offense in the next couple of years. Yep. But I think they have the ability to have a very well-balanced team. I think they have the ability to have a very good offense and a very good defense. Yep. But the Phillies last year had an elite offense and a terrible defense. The Orioles aren't going to go all in on one aspect of the game like that. No. And, and real quickly, again, with Austin Hayes, Andrew on YouTube pointing out Hayes had a hand injury in the second half that was kind of bugging him on and off that is also part of the reason that those offensive numbers weren't great. Yeah. So he, he was trying to play through that injury, which, again, credit to Austin Hayes for trying to do that, but he still struggled. But And it also goes back to our conversation of he needs to be on the field. Yep. You know, he, he has, unfortunately, and again, he would be the first to tell you, he wants to shed that label of being injury-prone as much as, more than anybody. So he just needs to be on the field, and a lot of that is outside of his control. Um, all right, Brandon, another outfielder in yeah. the system. 24-year-old Heston Kerstad, number two overall pick in 2020. 
struggled in Aberdeen last year and barely played. I mean, he has really only a handful of big league games, sorry, pro games under his belt so far since he was taken number two overall. Yep, he missed the entire, he, he wasn't at the alternate site in 2020 in Bowie. Then he missed the entire 2021 season with myocarditis. And then if you recall, last spring, he had a hamstring strain that kept him out for the first couple months of the season. So it really wasn't until midseason that he was able to make his pro debut. And then the Orioles slow played it because, look, this guy's been through a lot and he had a lot to overcome just to get there. They were very cautious with him. He reappeared in the top 100. According to MLB Pipeline, he came in at number 80 this year. But I think people maybe need to tap the brakes, not slam the brakes, just tap the brakes lightly when it comes to Heston Kerstad. I think there is a very very small chance that he is a sneaky, fun September call-up. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. We talked with Heston Kerstad at the Birdland Caravan. He said he was feeling great. He said this is probably the best physical shape that he has ever been in, which is awesome. And we saw it at the Arizona Fall League where, as you mentioned, he was the MVP there. He was playing some unbelievably good baseball. There is a reason that he was the number two overall pick in the draft. The upside is clearly there to be a 30-plus home run potential type of power-hitting corner outfielder at the big league level. But again, his numbers were not great last year. He had a 674 OPS in Aberdeen. I think he starts in Bowie, and you just work him up slowly. I would imagine he probably gets half a season at AA Bowie, if not a little bit more, ends the season at AAA Norfolk, there's a possibility that he, if he is absolutely raking at AAA Norfolk and the conditioning is all the way back, that he could be a fun September call-up if the Orioles need a power-hitting left-handed corner outfielder and maybe Kyle Stowers isn't giving you exactly what you wanted him to. Maybe Heston Kerstad could help you make a playoff push, which would be an unbelievable story and it would be really, really fun. I'm not counting on it. You want to take it slow. I'm not a scout, but from everything that we've heard... Heston Kerstad may have the most pure power potential of any prospect in the Orioles system. Yep. We've talked about a lot of guys defensive. Him or Kobe Mayo. Yes. And we've talked about a lot of guys with defensive, uh, you know, upside and how the Orioles have clearly valued that. And we've talked about guys who have had great minor league seasons with power. Connor Norby had 29 homers. I think Kerstad has the most potential to, like you said, Brendan, be a 30 home run hitter in the big leagues. And, I think that that is still within reach for him, but I would just wait a little bit. Yep. There's just no reason to rush him, like you said, and he gives you so much exciting upside long-term, it just doesn't make sense to rush him up to the big leagues. He might give you more in the future than Anthony Santander or Kyle Stowers. Yeah. But right now, those two guys are kind of similar players to Heston Kerstad at the big league level right now. So you are not in dire need of what Kerstad can give you. No. But if he goes to Norfolk and hits like 300 and, you know, mashes a bunch of home runs, yeah, call him up. Yeah. But I don't think it's going to happen. He just needs more games. Yeah. He, he needs more time. Um, all right. To the pitching side, Brendan. Yep. How about Drew Rahm? 23 years old, lefty. Got seven starts in Norfolk last year, and he was pretty good. Fine. Four, five, four ERA. Uh, whopping 10.3 Ks per nine and an equally whopping 1.487 whip. Yeah, we're probably going to 
run through some of these it, not less exciting prospects, but lower level prospects here in the in the Orioles top thirty. I think Drew Brown probably gets a spot start somewhere. I don't think he is going to be a front end of the rotation starter at any point in his career. I don't think he has that kind of upside, but I could be wrong. That's what most people were saying about John Means a few seasons ago, and now here's John Means. Drew Rahm is a fun prospect. He is already showing some good ability at AAA Norfolk at a young age. He was just in his age 22 season last year, but I think he's more of a spot starter. He doesn't have the upside of Grayson Rodriguez or D.L. Hall as of right now, so I think maybe July, August, if the Orioles have an injury, Drew Rahm could get a start. And I don't think he has the velocity close to where Means has been. He's going to have to be a crafty lefty. He's going to have to be a crafty lefty, and I feel like we're haunted of the ghosts of Zach Lowther and Alexander Wells a little bit. And Bruce Zimmerman. And Bruce Zimmerman, unfortunately. Um, so maybe that's our own bias that we're bringing into this, and, and Drew Rahm maybe has higher upside than those three guys, but he doesn't have the upside of John Means. You know, yes. he is going to, he's never going to start on opening day. Almost definitely, unfortunately. I hate to put him in a box that early, but. Well, maybe he could. We just haven't could. seen it yet. Yeah, I mean, he's he's only going to hit 90-91. Uh, you know, maybe get up to 93 on a very good day. That's just tough to, to say that guy's going to be a star. But I think that his role is probably more as a spot starter, like you said, than a reliever. Maybe the Orioles will use him occasionally. And they'll look at the success that Keegan Aiken had as a lefty coming out of that bullpen and say, let's use him when we need to. But I think he's probably going to be a starter at least this year. And if it doesn't work out this year, then they start having conversations about moving him to the bullpen. Yeah, there's just not really a spot for him at this point. I mean, D.L. Hall is ahead of him on the list. Grayson Rodriguez is obviously ahead of him on the list as well. Maybe he spot starts, but I don't think he's going to get a... a Every five days type of role. Yeah, and he doesn't have the upside of some of the other uh, pitching prospects, I think, in the system. Chase McDermott, Cade Povich, but he is further along in his development. Yeah. He's gotten to AAA. Yeah. They have not yet. Yeah, I think, let's talk about Povich and McDermott. I think kind of a, a similar story for those two. They both had bad ERAs in Bowie last year. They're both getting new used to a new organization, new pitching coaches. You know, maybe they're getting used to new technology that they didn't have in other organizations. But Kate Povich has looked really, really good in spring training so far. There are a lot of people around baseball who are very excited about Kate Povich. He was, what, a top 50, 60 prospect in ESPN's top 100 rankings? 54, I think. Yeah, 54 for Kate Povich. So I think he has some high upside. But in terms of where Povich and McDermott will go, I think they both start in Bowie, both get up to Norfolk, yeah. either make their big league debut. Their stats are strikingly similar, too, since yeah. they got traded. They both had six appearances in AA Bowie since they were traded to the Orioles. McDermott had a 6.08 ERA, and Povich had a 6.94 ERA, but they both struck out a ton of guys. McDermott struck out 12.2 batters per nine innings, and Povich struck out 10. So, both guys, I think, that are on similar trajectories, and we'll see how they go. Yep. Um, as for Drew Rom, do you have a specific date, by the way, for his MLB debut? Yeah, I had September 8th, but, you know, I, I think he probably just makes a spot start somewhere with an injury. July 30th. Write it down. Mark it in pen. Yeah. Michael Elias, maybe that's the one that you pick. Yeah, uh, maybe it is. Put it on your calendar. Uh, let's go back to the hitters. 
real quickly and talk about some of the guys at the lower levels. Yep. Uh, Freddie Ben Cosme, 20 years old. He was kind of in a category with Daryl Hernays before the Daryl Hernays trade uh, of underrated infield prospects, middle infield prospects in the Orioles system. He can play short. He can play second. He can play third. He got only 12 games in Aberdeen last year, and he hit just 154 and 41 plate appearances. Tiny sample size. Yeah, he was 19. Yeah. I think he goes right back to Aberdeen to start the season yep. and maybe finishes in Bowie. Yeah, I think Ben Cosme and Jackson Holiday could be a really fun left side of the infield. Maybe the infield at Aberdeen to start the year is Max Wagner at third, Jackson Holiday at short, Freddie Ben Cosme at second. Yeah. Do you think Wagner, who's going to be 21 this season, got just five games in Aberdeen, went four for 18? Do you think he starts in Aberdeen as well? Yeah, I think he starts in Aberdeen. I think we see Wagner and Ben Cosme both start there. We can kind of group those two together. I think they both get up to double A. Yeah, I would agree. And then a couple more outfielders I want to touch on. Dylan Beavers, going to be 21, just drafted last year. Uh, Got only four games in high A Aberdeen and went four for 16. I think he's going to be an Ironbird to start the year. Yep, I agree. I think he gets up to double A this year. I know that somebody like Colton Kowser got up to triple A Norfolk at the end of his second year starting in Aberdeen. But Dylan Beavers, I don't think, has quite the upside. It's really hard to do to jump three levels at the minor leagues. I think Dylan Beavers gets up to double-A buoy, plays a decent amount of time there. We could be talking about him as a potential big league debut next year if he gets some time at buoy and triple-A Norfolk. How about 22-year-old John Rhodes? John Rhodes, I think, I gets, gets up to triple-A. I think he starts the year at double-A buoy, just had a... 555 OPS there last year in 25 games. I think he's starting there again. Rhodes had a wrist injury. Upside. Yeah. Yeah. I think John Rhodes is another kind of sneaky, underrated prospect in this Orioles system. I think he gets up to triple A, doesn't debut this year, but gets up to Norfolk. I think it's going to be a make or break season, so to speak, for John Rhodes, just because he wasn't drafted as highly as some of his counterparts. He's you know, buried under behind a lot of good outfield prospects. We've seen a lot of Orioles draft picks look very good at the lower levels and then get to double A buoy and struggle. I think yep. of Zach Watson, who is a highly uh, drafted player, I think third, fourth round in 2019. And he fourth round, I think, yeah. got to buoy and he really struggled. I think of Andrew Dashball, who got to buoy and he really struggled as a first baseman. So uh, Johnny Riser, who unfortunately, uh, you know, suffered a lot of injuries and called it a career, he got to. Bowie, and then Norfolk and, and struggled as well. So it's going to be a make-or-break season, I think, for John Rhodes to show that he can produce. Yep. Uh, how about, last but not least, Hudson Haskin. Please start him in Triple Please, please. I mean, he got 109 games in Double A get- Bowie last year with an 821 OPS. Uh, again, we're not watching him every day. We don't know what goes into all of the decisions <laughs> that are made to call guys up, but... An 821 OPS in 109 games in Bowie? Call him up. I mean, I just want to get Matt Blood back on the podcast just so I can ask him, why didn't Hudson ask him? Is it because his swing is weird? It is funky. It's a weird swing. So maybe they're just like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they're tinkering that out. Maybe they're still tinkering with it. I I don't know. But I mean, I hope he starts at AAA Norfolk. They're tinkering with Dylan Bieber's swing, and that didn't stop him from getting up to Aberdeen. So I, I hope they. Call him up to AAA North. Please. Like, I don't know if Hudson Askin has this, you know, huge big league potential or anything no. like that. I think he could 
you know, maybe he gets a cup of coffee in the major. Who who knows what the upside for Hudson Haskin really is. But we're not going to find out if yeah. he doesn't go to AAA. We are officially the Hudson Haskin podcast. We yeah. are pro HH on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, we were, it, it was at the point where we were going to Bowie late last year and we'd go at like the very end of the year and Hudson Haskin was just kind of still there. We're like, why are you still <laughs> here? Like, hey, like, what, why are you here? Yeah. It's unfortunate. I, I don't know. Again, we we don't know what goes into all of the call-up decisions. Uh, we're not going to sit here and judge Michael Elias's blueprints because they've all seemed to be excellent so far. But it, it's a bit of a head-scratcher. <laughs> and he's still in buoy. These are This is the insight, the, the in-depth inside baseball that you don't get yeah. on other podcasts. This is how you know that we know way too much about the Orioles organization because I mean, we're sitting here going, man, Hudson Haskins still in Bowie? What's how, going on? How many other Orioles podcasts are spending at least more than a minute on Hudson it's Haskins? It's probably us and On the Verge. On the Verge, I think that's about it. Yeah. All right, Brendan, uh, that just about does it. Any other prospects also that you might think uh, might get their debuts this year? If, if you have any ideas, comment. If you feel like we neglected somebody that we should be talking about, please let us know. Yeah, no other big names. I mean, Judd Fabian, I think, is going to be on a similar Dylan Beavers track. I think he starts in Aberdeen, gets up to double-A Bowie. I'd actually give Fabian a higher chance of making triple-A Norfolk this year than I would give Dylan Beavers, just because Fabian was a little bit more established in college. He has a little bit more time under his belt, and they're not really tinkering with him as yeah. much as they're tinkering with Dylan Beavers. Beavers, the swing mechanics were a little weird, and they're trying to get him up to speed. Judd Fabian is just kind of good at everything right now, maybe without the highest upside in the world, but I think Judd Fabian could maybe sneak his way up to AAA Norfolk this year. Saw a comment from Andrew about Robert Newstrom, kind of the forgotten man. When the Orioles didn't protect him from the Rule 5 draft a uh, year and a half ago, two years ago, um, that made me think that they were not as high on Robert Newstrom as maybe some people on the outside who just read his stats are. Yep. Uh, he took a step back offensively last year, slight step back in Norfolk, and he never got the call up to the big leagues. I don't know. He may just be AAA depth at this point. And there are so many guys with higher upside ahead of Robert Newstrom, like Colton Kowser, um, you know, like even the prospects that are making their way up quickly, like a Judd Fabian, that uh, maybe Newstrom gets a cup of coffee at the big leagues, but I, I just wouldn't have the highest of expectations for him. Yeah, only other guy that I'm looking at who could potentially be a big league debut this year in the Orioles top 30 is Justin Armbruster, yeah. starting pitcher. He only had 14 games at AA Bowie last year. Would imagine he probably starts there again. Or he could start at AAA Norfolk. I mean, he just about split the season between Aberdeen and Bowie last year. He's entering his age 24 season, so it would make sense to get him up to Norfolk. Doesn't have the highest upside. We heard Matt Blood really liked what he saw from Justin Armbruster this year. So maybe he's a spot starter possibility as well at the big league level. Yeah. All right. That just about does it. We yeah, talked we, about almost every single prospect in the system. Yeah. All right. Uh, at Brenna Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Of course, you can catch the podcast every Wednesday at 11 a.m. on Facebook and on YouTube. Listen to it. Watch it after the fact on any of your favorite podcast platforms. You can watch it also on the Masson app and MassonSports.com. Please give us a thumbs up, a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks so much to Amy Jennings for producing this podcast, and we will catch you next time.